Well, good morning to you. Happy New Year to uh, those who are here in the building as well as those who are gathering uh, online wherever you're at this morning. It's great to be together. On, uh, on New Year's Eve day, I was watching a little bit of news uh, in the morning and uh, they were doing this little interview with Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, and he was talking about the, just the excitement of the celebration in New York later that night, and uh, he was talking about how ready he was to say goodbye to 2020, so much so that he might actually push the button for the countdown clock just a little bit early to, to, to ring in the new year as early as possible. And uh, we all share that sentiment, right? Uh, happy to say goodbye to 2020 and looking forward to uh, this new year with uh, hope that it'll be a much better year. And uh, I, I feel this. And uh, there are a lot of things I hope about this year, as I'm sure you do. Uh, I hope that uh, this pandemic comes to an end this year. I hope for being able to gather together in a full room, not wearing masks during this year. I hope for standing side by side with Cindy to worship with her, something I have not done in many months. Uh, I hope to be able to watch a live sporting event this year. Uh, I hope for schooling to become a normal thing again. Um, there's a lot we hope for in this year, right? But here's the thing. If our hope is simply in a new year, we will be sorely disappointed. Because even if we can get this pandemic under control this year, hard and difficult things are certainly still right around the corner. This is the world we live in. We live in a broken world that is full of difficult things. And so, yes, it's a new year, but you may still have a child heading down the wrong path. So, yes, it's a new year, but you may still be struggling with something in, in your marriage or relationship. Yes, it's a new year, but there may still be financial difficulties or troubles at work. Yes, it's a new year, but trouble is a part of life. We need a much better hope than just a new year. In Psalm 86, a psalm where King David pours out his heart over his own troubles, he prays this. He says, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. This is our better hope in a new year, that we have a God who loves us, who pays attention to us, that we can call out upon who will hear us. What I want to say this morning really is a reminder. I don't think I'm going to say anything new this morning, but I just want to remind us this morning at the, at the start of this new year that we can call on God in our day of trouble and he will answer us. That's what I want us to hear this morning. We're going to spend most of our time looking at a passage in 2 Chronicles 20 where we, we see this truth illustrated. And then I want to look briefly at a passage in the New Testament that directly invites us to call upon God in our time of need. And so let's begin by looking at 2 Chronicles 20. This is a passage about King Jehoshaphat, who was a king of Judah in the 9th century B.C., um, by no means a perfect king, but the, the writers of, uh, of, of Chronicles really portray him in a very favorable light. In chapter 17, it says that the Lord was with him because he followed the example of David. He sought God. He sought to follow his 
commands, not perfectly, but, but that was the direction of his life. He was a king that expressed his love for God and, and God's law by sending out officials to teach the book of the law in all the cities of Judah. He was a strong king with a strong army. Uh, they had fortified cities. He, he really was a pretty good guy. In fact, I, I just don't understand why more people don't name their sons Jehoshaphat. I'm just trying to figure that out. Well, as we come to chapter 20, uh, his day of trouble shows up. And I want to look at this passage to see how he responds, um, because I think this narrative presents a great example for each of us to follow in our own difficult situations. And so let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And some came and they reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And so the Moabites, Ammonites, they form a coalition with the Meunites to make war against Jehoshaphat. And they're described as a great multitude coming against Jehoshaphat from beyond the sea. Their lands were on the other side of the Dead Sea. Meunites were kind of south of, of Judah. But it says here that they, they are... No longer over there, they're in Engedi. In other words, they're on Jerusalem, the Jerusalem side of the Dead Sea. They're only about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. It's likely that Jehoshaphat saw this situation as some kind of discipline from God because back in chapter 18, he had made an alliance with King Ahab of Israel, and Ahab was ungodly, and, and this was not an alliance that God wanted him to, to enter into. And so it's likely that Jehoshaphat believes that this is a kind of discipline for his own sin. Some of us may find ourselves in a situation today because of our own actions. We've maybe made an unwise decision. Uh, we've gone against the counsel of God's word. And so we're in a day of trouble because of our own decisions, because of our own choices. Others, however, may find ourselves in a day of trouble, not because of anything that we have done, it's simply what life has presented to you. Regardless of why you're facing trouble, Jehoshaphat's response is instructive. Verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he turned his attention to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And so whether the threat of these invading armies were because of his sin or not, he responds by seeking the Lord. He responds by seeking the Lord. He proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. And it says that all Judah comes together to seek help from the Lord in Jerusalem. And as they're gathered there, Jehoshaphat prays, verse 6. O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not the God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. And so Jehoshaphat, he begins by focusing on God, not the problem. He begins by focusing on God, not so much the problem. For me, when my day of trouble comes, it is so easy for me to just sort of get laser focused on the problem and the difficulty of it and, and all the complications of it. And, and Eventually, I get around to focusing on God, but it seems like it's more later rather than sooner. But for Jehoshaphat, he begins by focusing on God, 
not his promise, on his problem, not the problem. So he begins by setting his eyes on God, and he describes God. He, you know, you're the one who's in the heavens. In other words, God is the one who rules in sovereignty. He prays that about his, how his rule is over all the kingdoms of the nations, including these nations coming against him. Jehoshaphat prays, power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Whatever difficulty you may be facing now, whatever difficulty you may face this year, choose to focus on God. Choose to focus on God. That's where your hope lies. God, remind yourself of who he is. Remind yourself of what you know to be true of him. He's great. He's mighty. He's wise. He's for you. He loves you. Remind yourself of these things. This is what Jehoshaphat does in his day of trouble. He reminds himself of God. He focuses on God, not his problems. As he goes on, we see how he, he, he begins to remember how God has worked in the past as well as he focuses on the promises that God has made. Look at verse 7. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and they built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress and you will hear and deliver. Jehoshaphat rehearses a bit of the history of how God had worked uh, in the nation, how he'd driven out the inhabitants of the land to, to give it to, to, to Israel as he had promised Abraham in the covenant that he made with Abraham. So he recalls some of the history of how God has worked, but he also recalls a promise. In, in verse 8, he recalls how when uh, Solomon had built the temple, Solomon and the people, they, they gathered together for a dedication. And on that day, Solomon had prayed that if the people would cry out to God before the temple, if they were facing sword or judgment or pestilence or famine or these kind of things, if, if the people would come before God at the temple where he dwelled and called out to God, God would hear and deliver them. And so Jehoshaphat, he remembers how God had worked in the past as well as the promises that God has made. And finally then, as you come to verse 10, he calls out to God, for help. He's focused on who God is, what God has done, promises that God has made, and then he calls out to God for help. Now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, do something. God, rise up. Act. They're coming to take away the land that you gave to us. They're coming in opposition to your will. Judge them. Act. Do something. He calls upon God for help. And at the very end of this call... You see how he, he, there's this expression of dependence, expression of dependence. He says, we are powerless before this great multitude. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
it's really striking that he would say we're powerless because when you read back in chapter 17, it made it clear that his military might was great. They had over a million men, uh, army. But Jehoshaphat does not place his trust in his military might. He places his trust in God. So often, we depend on our own strength, our own experience, our own wisdom, our own abilities to work our way out of whatever difficult thing that we are facing. That's my experience. Might ask for God, might voice a prayer, but still sort of want to depend upon what I can do and how I can figure it out. And yet we don't see Jehoshaphat doing that. He simply asks for God to help, and there's this expression of dependence upon God. Whatever you're facing now, whatever you're facing this year, trust God, not yourself. That's what Jehoshaphat does. He turns his attention to seek God. He prays in light of God's character, what God has done, promises that God has made, and he boldly asks for God to intervene, and he waits in dependence upon God. Our eyes are on you. How does God answer his prayer? We're told that the Spirit of God comes upon a Levite named Jehaziel, who says in verse 15, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So God tells them through this Levite, don't be afraid. The battle is his and he will be with them. They're to go out in faith and station themselves, but they would not need to fight. Now, obviously, God didn't always work this way. Often the, the army did have to go out to fight, but in this case, they would not lift a sword. In response to this word, in verse 18, we're told how Jehoshaphat and, and all of Judah, they fall down and they worship God, which, which really is an expression of faith. God had not yet delivered them, but he had said something to them, and they fall down and worship. And so they respond in faith to what, what God has said. And then we read about how God delivered them, verse 20. They rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. As they went out before him, the army, before the army, and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord sent ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. And the next verses talk about how God uh, sends confusion among these armies, and they turn against each other, and they destroy each other. And this episode is then summarized in verse 29 and 30, and it says that the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. Call on God in the day of trouble, and he will answer you. Call on God in the day of trouble, 
and he will answer you. That's the example we see here. Jehoshaphat and the nation setting their eyes on God, remembering his character, things he had done, his promises. They boldly asked for deliverance, and then he walks in dependence on him. This is our better hope as we move into this year, that we have a God in heaven to whom we can turn. I want to be clear that when you call upon God in your day of trouble, His answer may not always mean deliverance in the way that we see here. Um, sometimes in God's perfect wisdom, His answer is to allow the trouble to remain. And we don't always know why, but sometimes He allows the trouble to remain, but He gives us what we need in the midst of it. He gives us strength. He gives us faith. He, he gives us courage. He gives us perseverance that we might continue to endure in the midst of the situation. God always has a bigger picture that, that we don't always understand in, in these kinds of things, but He will always answer when we call out to Him. Call, on the, call upon God in your day of trouble, and He will answer you. What's illustrated in the life of Jehoshaphat is stated this way by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we find ourselves in our day of trouble, our time of need, we can draw near to the throne of grace. There's no problem too big, there's no problem too small that we cannot bring to God. And it doesn't matter if you find yourself in your day of trouble, a time of need because of your own mistakes, your own sin, your own lack of wisdom, or it's just what life has brought to you. It doesn't matter. You can come into the throne room of God. It's, it's, a, it's a throne of grace. We don't earn our standing there. We come because of Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if it's your mistake or not that has brought you to your day of trouble. We have this invitation where Jesus has thrown wide open the door to the throne room of heaven, and we can come to a God and ask in our day of need, and what we receive is mercy and grace to help in time of need. Call upon God in the day of trouble, and He will answer you. Our hope is not in a new year. It's that in this new year, we have the same faithful God. We have the same faithful God who always answers, who always extends mercy and grace to us in our time of need. Call, on the, talk, call upon God in your day of trouble, and He will answer you. Today we're celebrating communion, and uh, at the Lord's table, we're reminded that God sent His Son into the world to deal with our ultimate trouble, right? Our alienation from God because of our own sin, because of our own rebellion, uh, God entered into our world, into our history, by sending His Son to live and to die and to be raised again from the dead to deal with our sin that, that brought about this alienation from God. 
And so today, as you take the bread and you're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for you, as you take the cup, you're reminded that his blood was shed for you, be reminded that God is a God who intervenes. Be reminded that he is a God who rescues. Be reminded that he's a God who loves you and that you can call upon him in your day of trouble. At faith, we invite all who have confessed Jesus as Savior to, to join us in this celebration. It doesn't matter if you're joining us for the first time. It doesn't matter if you're a member or any of that stuff. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to join us for this celebration. In a moment, we'll, we'll eat the bread and, or take the bread, and after some words, we'll eat together, and we'll take the cup, and after some words of Scripture, we will drink together. And as was mentioned in the, the Church Life video at the start, if you didn't grab the communion supplies, they're just outside the door. You could go out and grab them right now. Um, and just so you know, um, there's the allergen-free option that has separate things, but if you got this one, the, the bread is right at the top, so you pull off the top, and there's the bread, and then pull off the second, and there's the juice. We know for some of you that uh, who are here with us today, you maybe have not yet come to a place of trusting Jesus as your Savior, and we're so glad that you're here, um, but our, and, and our encouragement during this time was, would be just that you would meditate, that you would pray, that you would think about what we have talked about today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to come to the table and, and to come around this table of Christ and, and to remember his sacrifice for us and what it says about who you are, God, that you are a God who intervenes, you are a God who loves us, that is for us, and that you have intervened in our history in an ultimate way. And that uh, we, as we consider difficulties and troubles, God, help us to think of it in light of the cross. Help us to think of it in light of what you've done for us. And so, God, in these moments, would you remind us in a deep way of these truths? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.